All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith by salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you." In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. First Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. We're going to spend the summer in First and Second Peter, starting this morning, First Peter 1, 1 through 12. The title of the message today is, We Praise God. We Praise God. God, you'll notice the title of the series is Called to Christ's Eternal Glory. And that comes from that verse we read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 5. That 1 Peter is a book by, written by Peter by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter, the apostle of Christ, who betrayed Christ three times on the night of his crucifixion and all these kinds of things. It is a book written to people who are going through very difficult times. And Peter wants them to know during times of difficulty... We are called to something greater. We are called to Christ's eternal glory. And that, in fact, the difficulties and sufferings of this life are a participation in the glory of Christ that we will experience uh, forever. And this morning, he opens the book by setting our hearts and minds on the glory of God himself. We praise God. And I've got a number of ways we need to understand how we can praise God. Now, I don't know if you have any siblings. I have a couple all of us have maybe somebody who might be a sibling-like. But sometimes, maybe as a kid, you would do something wrong. I know none of us here. And, uh, boy, you really blow it, and there's no hiding it. 
And then your older brother or your uh, sister or, or your friend will say, boy, you had better hope dad is in a really good mood when he gets home. <laughs> you had better hope he just had the greatest day of his life because if he had a bad day, this is going to get ugly in a hurry. You had better hope dad's in a good mood. Now, this is what's funny about our view of God is that's sort of how we view God. We say, okay, I blew it again. I'm going to go say you know, sorry again. Boy, I really hope he's in a good mood. I hope he's not going to tear me up. I hope he's not going to throw all kinds of trouble my way. God, I, boy, I really hope he's, he's in a really good mood. And especially on the final day when he returns, I hope he shows up in a good mood. And here's the thing. We praise God because we have hope in his kindness. That's what Peter wants us to know in the first five verses of 1 Peter 1. We praise God because we have hope in his kindness. Now, we're going to talk a lot about hope this morning, and I want us to understand hope in the Bible is not American hope. Hope in the United States and our culture is Christmas special kind of hope where, gee, I hope everything works out. Rub my lucky Christmas star or I, a wish and a dream on a star. That's hope. I hope everything works out. Hope in the Bible is an anticipation of what's coming. It might be more comparable to us if you take a trip and you pay for it in advance. Maybe you, you book a trip on a cruise trip. It's an all-inclusive. You paid for it. Everything's set. You bought the insurance. Now your hope is in the trip. You're, like, you're not going, I hope it happens. Your hope is everything's set. I can't wait till the day shows up. And that's what hope is in the scripture. We praise God with hope that is a settled reality God is kind. God is kind. Look what Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 2. He's writing to these believers, and he says this about the believers. To those who are elect, that is, those who are believers all over Asia, and you are believers according to, and there's mention here of God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. Here is how they are believers by faith. According to the foreknowledge of God, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ, for sprinkling of, of his blood. Here's what he wants us to understand. God knows your situation. You're a sinner. The Holy Spirit comes in and empowers our faith that we might experience sanctification. Or another way of saying this is consecration. And you say, I don't use any of those words. To make good when you're not good. God knows your trouble. The Holy Spirit makes it so you're not anymore in order that we might have obedience to Christ, that is, trust Christ for the sprinkling of his blood. And all throughout the Bible, the sprinkling of the blood was a purification uh, rite. It was a way of saying you are made right. So what he's saying here is God is the one who did everything. He understood you were in trouble. He sent the Holy Spirit to make it away so you would trust Christ he sent Christ to provide the price that must be paid for you to be made holy. And when we trust in Christ, we are made right. We are made good. If God weren't kind, he would not have done all of these things. God did not do these things. He did not know that we needed help. He did not send the Spirit and Christ to provide the help because he saw our potential. God did not do these things because he knew we had a bright future in front of us. He didn't do these things because we knew if we were offered something good, we would take it. He did all of these kind things to save us 
in spite of us. In spite of our rebellious nature, in spite of our disobedience, God in his kindness said, I will make a way in advance for you to experience being made right. God saves us. We trust him that he has done it for us. And the result is that we would praise God. Look at verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless God. Now, praise God. Good on you, God. Thank you, God. This is a, 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 a cry of praise and worship. Thank you, God, for saving me. We realize something here, and it's kind of subtle, but I want to point it out, and I don't want to upset you. I don't want to upset you too much. I want to upset you a little. Uh, you are not the center of the universe. I know it's me, it turns out. No, I'm kidding. It's not. <laughs> We aren't the center of the universe, and worship, yeah, we are not the center of our salvation. The purpose we think of our salvation is because we need help. The purpose of our salvation is God is awesome. The intent of our salvation is that God might be worshipped, God might be praised, God might be glorified as the God who saves. So he doesn't go after telling us about our salvation in verses 1 and 2. They said... Verse 3, he could say, boy, aren't we lucky that we're the ones who were smart enough to believe? He doesn't do that. He says, the focus of our salvation, the focus of the work of Christ is God himself. We are the means by which God is praised because he would save people like us. We praise God because we hope in his kindness. We praise God because he is the kind of God who saves. That's the kind of God he is. He's a saving God. And we have hope because this is his very nature. And the result of knowing this about God, we should say, praise God, he's a nice God. Praise God, he's not the kind of God where you have to fall, find a volcano to throw a, a virgin into or something. He's the kind of God that is looking for the way to save us. And in fact, the way to save us was Christ. And so Christ came and provided the means for our salvation through the cross and through his resurrection. Blessed be God for saving us. Look at the second part of verse 3. This is incredible. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Pay attention. What it doesn't say. It doesn't say according to your brilliant spiritual insight. It doesn't say according to your spiritual sensitivity. According to your good and proper upbringing. What does it say is the way in which we have salvation according to his great mercy. What is God like? He's merciful when we don't deserve it. He's merciful when we don't want it. He's merciful when we're running away from his mercy and taking advantage of his mercy. Praise God, he's this kind of God. Praise God, he is this merciful. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He shows us mercy and we have a hope, a hope of future glory because Jesus is risen from the dead. So good news, bad news here on this one. Are you ready? Good news is Jesus is raised from the dead so we can have hope. Bad news. Some of us are having trouble buying into this idea that Jesus raised from the dead. Because really what we want our Christianity to be 
is just a lot of really good top 10 tips on how to live a good life. If I follow these top 10 moral life tips, everything will go generally good for me. Where Peter offers something very different. He says, we have hope, not because the the Christian life is good advice. We have hope because Jesus came out of the grave. That he was, in fact, all dead and then came out of the grave all alive. Our hope is fixed on the fact that he is alive because that means one day we will be raised with him, which means this life shrinks in its importance. If we are going to live forever with Christ, how big a deal is this 80 years? Nobody wants to say it out loud because this is all we've ever known. This is the biggest thing we've ever done is our life. And now if Christ is raised, we're saying, wait a minute, I don't have to get everything off the bucket list? Well, but this is everything I've ever known and everything I've ever been taught is I've got these top 10 goals I've got to achieve before before I kick the bucket and and if Jesus is raised, it reorients everything, and that's what, what Peter is going to be telling us all throughout 1 Peter. He is saying, Christ is raised, and look at verse 4, he has gone to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, and we're being guarded by God's power. So every time somebody wins $100 million or a $1 billion in the lottery, a bunch of articles will come out on what the lottery winners should do to make sure they don't ruin their life, right? So they don't end up in jail or dead or addicted to something new. So there's a list. But here's the great thing. So we've won the lottery in Christ, and it turns out, according to this verse, we can't spend it down. It's imperishable. So what do you do to get to heaven? We need to get a financial advisor to make sure we don't spend it all, right? Wrong. You can't spend it all. You will live for eternity spending as fast as you can and you won't get through it. There is a, a, an inheritance. He's on purpose using the phrase that we would use if someone we knew passed away and we were receiving their property and we know, okay, we have received some property, now I have a stewardship to take care of it and I can use it. How We are receiving an inheritance from God in Christ and that inheritance never goes away And what Peter is wanting us to do is fix our hope on eternity, not next week. He is wanting us to shift the foundation of our reality from from right now and what this week has to offer and next week has to offer and say, I have a hope and inheritance that will never fade. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't wishful thinking. This isn't, let's gin up some good feelings so I can have a good day today. This is saying, I don't care what kind of day today is because another day will be better. Of course, it's very difficult to do. That's why he wrote 1 Peter. If it were easy to do, he wouldn't have told us uh, to do it. We have hope because of the resurrection of the dead. It never dies. It can't be ruined. It's always new. Verse 5, and then we're going to go to the next reason we praise God. We, it is kept in heaven by God whose power is guarding us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. We are kept by God himself. That's very good. Now, I know there's some of us here are are believers, right? If not, I'm going to have to change the message just a touch. But for some of us, not everybody, some of us are really, our gold star Christians, we just got it all nailed. Um, Some of us, 
the Christian life thing is a little bit of a hassle. It's not, I'm not saying it's bad, like we mind it. The problem is we're supposed to do good things, apparently. Has anybody read this? Anybody struggle doing good things? Well, no, no, I'm good at doing, no, just buying coffee for the guy in front of you, behind you at Starbucks doesn't count. We're talking about like that one person who really did that one thing and it's irked you for like a decade. Good things are saying, you know, I'm over it. I forgive you. Okay, that's bothersome, okay? The other thing is we're not supposed to do bad things. Did you know? (laughs) You look like this is all new information to all of you. This is unbelievable. (laughs) So like we're not supposed to envy. I've told you many times, this is the most irritating command in all of Scripture. Don't envy. What? And don't breathe. Is this anything else? Yeah, don't look at other stuff and say, boy, I wish I had that stuff. Anything else impossible, Lord? So we're supposed to do good things, forgive people who are jerks. We're supposed to not do bad things, envy stuff, and usually it's that guy has all the good stuff too. Thank you for being my therapist here tomorrow and I'm getting all my stuff out. All right? And so sometimes you go to bed at night and you say, I am a lousy at this whole Christian thing. If I'd stand before God right now, he'd say, why should I get into heaven? He's like, I'm just hoping you're having a good day. And what does it say here? Pay attention. We are guarded by God's power. I don't need to be a gold star Christian today to make sure I'm getting into heaven. I just need a God who is powerful enough to get someone like me into heaven. That's really good news. For those of us who struggle to get Christianity right It's good to know that our inheritance is not guarded by our good behavior or avoiding bad behavior. It's guarded by the power of God who will keep it ready to be revealed at the last time. What does this mean? We praise God because he is really that kind. That's good news. God is really this nice. We have hope in his kindness. We praise God during suffering. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We praise God even during suffering. Now, if you're going to run a marathon and you go for it, knock yourself out, marathons are good. I drive them uh, instead. This is what I've been told. I talked to somebody who ran a marathon. They said there's two marathons in every marathon, two races, the first 20 miles and then the last three miles in a bit, right? The first 20 miles says, hey, piece of cake, 20 miles. Then the last three miles, holy cow, right? The hardest part is the end part. But that's also the greatest part because every step is closer to the end of it. And this is what Peter is calling us to look at in terms of our life in Christ. The hardest part may yet to become, but every moment closer is closer to the line where we cross over and enjoy our inheritance. And he's saying, in this time, in this race, in this run to the end, we will from time to time, just weekdays and weekends, experience trials of different kinds, trials of the regular stuff of life. This week, I don't know what it is. It seems like so many people are moving from this life to the next. Every day, it's a new phone call. I turn my phone off. And so there are trials. We're experiencing grief. We're experiencing mourning. We're experiencing the normal difficulties of living in a broken world. And these trials, Peter is calling us to look at these a little differently. They're not merely life being a pain. 
He's calling us to rejoice in the difficulty of the trials because it is an opportunity for our faith to be moved forward in the kindness and mercy of God. The trials we experience are the means of glory in Christ in the future. Okay, let me show you an example. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Acts chapter 5, verse uh, 41. I'm going to read it. You're welcome to turn to it if you want. So, uh, it's going to be up on the screen too. Then they, that is Peter and some of the other uh, disciples, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What had happened? What had happened is they'd been called into the religious leaders and had been told, stop preaching the good news of Christ. Stop telling everybody he's raised from the dead. And they said, yeah, you know, we're not going to do that. So this is what it said. They called in the apostles and they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to experience suffering for Christ. They were happy at the fact that Christ had counted them worthy to experience the difficulty of walking with Christ in this life. That they were looked at by God and God said, no, they can take this. They, they, they're resting in me. They have strength in me. I'm go- they, they will be able to endure this uh, beating. And so they rejoiced that God had taken them through suffering as a means to bring glory to Christ and as a means ultimately at their end to experience their glory in Christ. Now I want us to be very careful here and understand. It's not merely those who are beaten for religious purposes. Throughout the scripture, difficulty is those who suffer for the name of Christ as, those, as well as those who suffer because life is hard. It's the difficulties we're in. The difficulties of managing life in a world that doesn't work right. And what's funny is the way our minds tend to work, when difficulty comes, and it, and it will come, we tend to think, what did I do wrong that God is putting this weight of burden on me? What did I do? What, I must have blown it that God is putting this difficulty on me. When the way the apostles were looking at that difficulty, they looked at it totally different. There must be something about me that God felt that this could be handled by me in the power of the Spirit. And they counted it a glory that God had brought that difficulty into their life because he would work out their faith through the difficulty. I don't know if you've ever prayed this prayer. Certainly you haven't. You wouldn't on purpose. God, I can't believe it. Thank you, God, for bringing this enormous, nightmarish difficulty in my life. It's such a privilege to know that you thought I could handle this. But that's precisely, in a way, I'm being silly and sarcastic, but that's precisely what the disciples were saying. They're saying, God has done such a work in my life that he has brought me to this place in my life where this is what could be uh, experienced by me and faithfulness could be worked out through this suffering that ultimately, at the resurrection, I will experience glory with Christ in this. The purpose here is to reveal what God has been doing in us, and he does that through difficulty and oftentimes suffering. Look at, again at 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 7. These things happen so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes even in the fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying here is testing refines us. It's not merely to reveal the quality of our faith. The idea here is testing enhances and adds to the faith God has given us. So it's the idea is as you apply heat and pressure, it builds strength and endurance. It's not trying to, it's not a test like you take a test to pass fail. It's a test that you would uh, put something through in order to build on its strength and build on its uh, endurance. Much like we might think about working out or lifting weights. We test the weights we can lift and then as we lift more, it it builds so we can lift more and more. And what, he's, what God does is uses the difficulties of this life in order that we might be strengthened and have those things that aren't strengths, sins, lack of faith, peeled away by the difficulties of this life. And we are left with uh, our faith becoming stronger and more and more pure over time. And ultimately, as we endure through those difficulties, Christ is glorified and we experience glory. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It's on the screen, I believe. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Keeping in mind, Hebrews 11 is a long description of Old Testament believers who endured through suffering, trusting that God would provide glory one day. And here's what he says to us, having reflected on all these Old Testament believers who trusted the Lord through uh, difficult times. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what he's saying is, the, the, the race of this life, in, in a sense, is to be run knowing all those who come before us are testifying to us uh, to finish strong. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings to us. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy who, that was set before him endured the cross despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's describing the last three miles of the marathon. Everything hurts. All you wanted to do is quit. And he's saying, listen, a whole bunch of other people have run this race. Uh, motor through. Seek the Lord. In, patiently endure the suffering we have been given and cross the line into glory. Don't give up now. Hang in there by, by God's strength and God's strength alone. He will guard you, but get across the line. Toss away. You don't, right now, we don't have time to waste time with all those pet sins. we got enough to deal with. Throw that stuff down and keep going. You say, well, when's the last day? It's the day after the day before the last day. I don't know when it is. And that's why he's saying keep plowing on. Keep moving on. And so this is a very strange reaction that we ought to have to suffering. What Peter is saying is difficulty and suffering comes into our life. And those are real things. And they cause heartache. And they cause stress and anxiety and fear and frustration and anger. He is saying by faith in the midst of all of that, we can come to the Lord and pray. Say, okay, God, I don't understand what in the world you're up to i got to be honest, God. There's two people who have two different perspectives on this situation. My perspective and yours. You're God, but you're also wrong on this, right? I've got an idea, God. My will be done, not yours. But in the midst of that, by faith, we can also come to the Lord. Thank you. There is no way my faith could be made into what it needs to be if it weren't for your willingness to put me in this spot. I would never have chosen this spot. I would have never have chosen these circumstances. 
by your grace, God, thank you, you have put me here that I might be shaped in this particular way to the image of Christ. And God, I thank you that on the day I cross that finish line, there is going to be glory. There's going to be a whole bunch of high fives when I cross that finish line. Moved to praise Jesus, even in the midst of difficulty, moved to praise with joy, even in the suffering we endure, because one day we will see the glory of Christ and we will experience it with him. Look at verses 8 and 9, and then we'll uh, get ready to wrap it up. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter is here saying, by faith, we can rest in Christ, saying, one day, God, you are going to make this all pay off in glory. Thank you. I can have joy even in the midst of extraordinary difficult times. I mean, this is going to sound strange, and you may be offended by it. Um, well, we'll just see. Here we go. So, biblical salvation, biblical grace, does not see suffering as a necessary evil. Now, well, we have to suffer because there's no other way, right? Uh, suffering is a necessary evil. If we understand what Peter is saying about difficulty in this life, suffering is a bonus to increased glory. I, I know, you're, I can tell you're offended, right? So, you, so when, when suffering comes in, if we remember those apostles after they got beaten, they're like, oh man, cha-ching, we're in overtime. See, up to this point, we're just in straight time. But now that we've hit suffering, we're in overtime. We're time and a half on the glory. And one day, when I enter into my inheritance, because God has seen fit to put this trouble into my life, there is going to, to be an inheritance commensurate with this suffering. And bring it on, Lord, because someday we're getting paid. That sounds real sacrilegious when you say it that way. But I'm just telling you what he's saying. There is an inheritance coming. And if heaven is lame, then we'll never get through these troubles. If heaven really is that, that awesome, then bring it on. Suffering? All right, another, another room on the mansion. I'll take it. Didn't have a place to put the pool table, I guess. Now I need a pool table. This is, this is how we're to approach suffering. Romans 8 does the same thing. He says, we can endure because our suffering now, when compared to our glory, will seem like light and momentary suffering. This is why Jesus must be raised. This is why heaven must be heaven. Otherwise, we will never make it through the difficulties of this life. Because we have a hope, and it is fixed in Christ. Okay, let's look at verses 10, 11, and 12. No, you don't get to count enduring this sermon as suffering. That's not cool. See, I see what you're doing. Keep him going, God. All right. That's, that's not nice. Verse 10, 11 and 12. We praise God because of our privilege. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who came before, they prophesied about the grace that is ours. They searched and inquired carefully, looking to what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and His subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but they were in fact serving us in the things that 
we have now been announced to us through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Excuse me, things into which even the angels long to look. Here's what he's saying. All the Old Testament prophets, they were trying to figure out what we all know, just what we learned in Sunday school at six years old. They were looking and scrubbing and Google searching, trying to figure out, now what in the world is this about? Because Isaiah, you could just see him. He seems like he's the king, but he also is suffering. I don't get this. What's going on here? This doesn't make any sense. And they're combing through the scripture, trying to figure out, what is this describing, and when is this going to happen? And then Jesus shows up. It turns out nobody had it figured. We praise God because of our privilege. Someone has said it this way. A lot of success has to do with being in the right place at the right time. A lot of times success is being in the right place at the right time, taking advantage of the opportunities that show up, being in the right place at the right time. The Bible is telling us this. We are. Right place, right time. There is not another moment in human history where we could live. There is not another place on this planet where we could live and be more privileged to the good news of Christ. We have more than one copy of the scripture in our homes. I've got three or four of them on my phone. I can stop on the street, drop to my knees and pray, and I won't get arrested. I know because I was driving up Highway 62 and there was a guy doing that. And I thought the same thing you would have thought. What's his problem? What was my problem, right? We, we, we all gathered in here. Nobody, I noticed, nobody came in worried that the government would come in and shut us down. We have the joy of worshiping God at a time unlike any other. We have the entire Bible. We have it in our language. We have a culture that allows us to worship God as we would like. A lot of success of being in the right place at the right time Folks, we hit home run on this one. We praise God because of our privilege. The prophets combed through the Old Testament thinking, what's it going to be like for those lucky folks? And they were talking about us, those who are alive after the resurrection of Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In Hebrews a lot today. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. A long time ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. In times past, he communicated through the prophets. Now the son has come. There is nothing left to say. Jesus said this to his disciples, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We praise God because of our privilege. We have all that God is going to say. Christ has come to save sinners. You put your faith in him, you receive eternal life, and you anticipate being raised from the dead to reign with him forever. This is good news, and we are distinctly privileged to live when we live now. It gets even crazier. Look at this. The prophets were yearning to look into it. Look at the last sentence of, of verse uh, 12. Holy Spirit revealed these things to us, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. Think about it this way. Do angels get to see some cool stuff? I mean, they hang out in heaven, hang out with God. I assume they have HDTV. 
you know, they, they get to see some pretty cool stuff. You know, if you've been to Multnomah Falls, it's a pretty cool waterfall. Anybody? Right? Water with gravity, cool for waterfall. It's awesome. Then you go to like a little creek and a little riffle. Like, oh, look at that waterfall. Well, I mean, well, it's okay. I mean, it's water, it's gravity, it's rocks, but it's not Multnomah Falls. And then somebody who's been to Victoria Falls said, well, Multnomah Falls isn't Victoria Falls. Right now, Victoria Falls, that's water and gravity. And then we come to the gospel and say, like, well, yeah, I mean, it's good, but when's game two on? Oh, and that, that wasn't applied. That wasn't right. Jesus has saved sinners. Yeah, I know, but. And then the angels who have seen it all, this is what the Bible says. They long to look into the good news that you and I were privileged to participate in. The, the angels who have been alive and with God for ages and ages are going, you're doing what? You could just see Michael and Gabriel talking to God. God, I'm all-knowing, kind, awesome, you're good. Have you met these people? And they're looking into what God is like in his work in us in the gospel, and they're peering into it. They're yearning to understand God's nature being worked out through the gospel of Christ into our lives. We are privileged of all of history. We, in fact, are privileged of all of creation, material and immaterial. And what he is calling us to here is to live in that privilege and get our eyes off the lesser than things. We are at the right place. We are at the right time. The question then is, are we going to take advantage of the opportunity? He has given us a privilege to know Christ in a way no generation before has known. Let me close just with a couple of questions. Your faith in Christ, is it a pain or is it a privilege? And that, I know, that's just rude. But it's a fair question, isn't it? Is my walk with Christ, is it a pain or is it a privilege? Now, oftentimes it's a pain. I understand that. We're not home yet. We're, we're, we're mortals. We're, we're tainted with the effects of sin in our flesh. And so, of course, we're going to struggle with this. But we have to continue to submit our minds to Christ by faith and say, as difficult as it might seem, I am privileged to know Christ and the power and glory of his resurrection. It's a privilege when I trust him. All right, a couple of things just to plant with you, and then we'll close with a song. How do I feel about God? How do you feel about God? And in the context of 1 Peter, how do I feel about God with the crummy stuff we're dealing with? I've got my crummy stuff. I'm dealing with it. And so therefore, I feel what about God? And what 1 Peter wants us to do is reorient our minds by faith to say, crummy stuff, God, heart of faith allows me to praise God even in the midst of that difficulty and that trouble. God, that you have counted me worthy to deal with this, give me strength, but I'll give you praise. When it comes to suffering and difficulty in our lives, this is another fair question, especially for our culture. How much energy do we expend in our life to try and limit suffering and difficulty and inconvenience? How much energy, how much resource, how much time do we expend in our life seeking to limit suffering, difficulty, inconvenience? 
That's not a real great strategy if one of the primary ways that God is going to draw us into faith is through difficulty and suffering and inconvenience. How much energy do we spend trying to make sure we avoid the difficulties and inconvenience of life? And frankly, because people can be inconvenient and difficult, and so we cordon off our lives in isolation. Glory. It's the NBA Finals. We're watching the Finals. Everybody likes watching the Finals. Uh, and basketball games are good uh, when the right team wins, which they didn't, so we'll just watch the two teams who are in. Um, two kinds of games. One can end with a blowout. You know, and one team wins by like 40 points. We've already switched channels, right? The other one is a double overtime and the guy drops the three-pointer from like 10 feet behind. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, man, it's beautiful. And that was glory. And the reason there was glory in this overtime three out of nowhere is because the situation was difficult. You see, you see what I'm saying? If it wasn't double overtime with the series on the line, it's just another three-pointer. And this is how we have the opportunity in our Christian life to approach glory. I could go through life coasting and skipping through the tulips, or it can be a, I can face difficulty and trouble, and in that difficulty say, this is how God is going to get glory, because he is going to allow me to endure through this and do something in me and through me. Diligence and endurance will pay off. Good news. God really is that kind. We can rest in his goodness. He cares for us deeply by his grace.